Hello, I'm Connor Pope and this is In the News from the Irish Times, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, is Irish football's decline down to bad players, bad management, bad luck, or is something else going on? When it's doing well in winning matches, the Irish football team has the power to transcend sport and bring the nation together. But for years now, there hasn't been much to celebrate. Ireland failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup in Russia, and it failed to qualify for Euro 2020. And that's not even the worst of it. When manager Stephen Kenny took over last year, he promised Irish football fans a brighter future. There are better days ahead. You know, we feel there are better days ahead and uh, we can look forward to what is a magnificent year of football. But after a recent run of bad results and despite some promising performances by a new crop of younger players, Ireland's chances of qualifying for next year's World Cup are virtually non-existent. Oh no! The gloom really does deepen for Ireland now! But what is behind Ireland's decline? Is the manager to blame? The players? Is it just bad luck or are there other factors off the pitch at play? I ask football writer and podcaster Ken Early. We're always told that it's results that count in football. And by any measure, Ireland's results have been poor in this campaign. Beaten by Luxembourg at home, drawing with Azerbaijan at home, two points out of a possible 15. Is Irish football a lost cause at the moment? It's never it's never a lost cause, Connor. I mean, it's it's as it always is. It's um, it's in a constant, a perpetual state of becoming uh, at the moment. It's maybe in a state of becoming better after a long time uh, spent in a state of becoming worse. I, I only say that because you know, I mean, by the law of average, we, averages we we have to be due an upturn at some stage. I mean, it's it's not like there's definite indications of, of you know a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just that uh, you know hope springs eternal. One of the most famous quotes attributed to Napoleon is when he was asked what he wanted in his generals, he said he wanted them to be lucky. Stephen Kenny doesn't seem to be a particularly lucky general, does he? No, uh, no, definitely not. Uh, not yet, anyway. I mean, the Good. one, the advantage of being football manager as opposed to general is you do get to try again, uh, as opposed to dying in the field of battle, <laughs> if you're really unlucky. Which I think Stephen, well, you know, if Stephen Kenny was a general. The, he he wouldn't still be uh, <laughs> it would have been over by now but thankfully he's he's a manager and you know i think people can you know when you look at the games that we've played the results have not been good uh still to win a competitive game the only victory has been against andorra this is not good uh, no, yeah nobody can say but yeah. You had a really good piece in the Irish Times in recent days and you kind of referenced the whole sliding doors nature of football because the results have been terrible by any measure, mm, yeah. but it could all have been so different. Can you talk to me maybe about some of the near misses in recent times? Well, in each game, you know, that we've had, I mean, each game in this sort of World Cup qualifying campaign, you know, we, we've had um, moments that have decided the game. Have, they've all sort of gone against us with the exception of um, recently against Serbia when, when we finally scored a, a goal that was just a kind of fell out of the sky, a miracle goal with the Serbians um, sort of battering the ball off each other and into the net. So, I mean, that was definitely, uh, you know, in the credit column look-wise. But, but previous to that, I mean, you know, we've had penalty decisions which should have been given to us, not given. You know, we had a, 
situation where an experienced goalkeeper had to play against Serbia and let in a very strange goal uh, against Luxembourg. We had chances to score, which didn't go in, and they had sort of one chance which flew into the net in, in spectacular style, you know, I mean, which is which is just what happens in football. It's just rare that you get these things all happening in the same direction. Against Portugal, they had a rather dubious penalty given to them, which obviously Gavin Bazzini saved. We then had one of the most blatant penalties I've ever seen, which should have been a red card as well to Paulinho, not given. Even though you've got video refereeing, these decisions are still going against us, which is very strange. You know, by a referee who then, you know, seems to be delighted to be able to be pictured with Ronaldo on the night that he sets the inter- the, the record for uh, the highest goal scorer in international football history. You know, the referee just was delighted to be part of that occasion. So, you know, it, it has always in football, you're going to have, look, I mean, it's Jurgen Klopp's assistant, Peter Kravitz, Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, his, his assistant gave a a definition of what football was. Lucas Podolski being this uh, German international who's kind Mm. of uh, reputedly, you know, he's always coming out with sort of slightly dumb things or, you know, those kind of Yogi Berra, that type of, he's like the German Yogi Berra. He comes out with sort of silly things. And some (laughs) some comedian had had Podolski saying, oh, you know, uh, football is like chess, but without dice, which was like a kind of a a German gag about like, oh, this is what, you know, this is a typically stupid thing. Who said the Germans aren't funny? Yeah, but but Kravitz said, no, 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 no. It's like chess, but with dice. So you've got like, you've got all this strategy, like it is a thinking game. You know, you can, you can plan and you can think several moves ahead and you can, you can have a a kind of a a grand strategy. But like at the end of the day, you also have to, a lot of it is down to random chance as well. A lot of it is going to come down to the bounce of the ball. So everybody who who watches football understands this is part of it. Uh, I just feel as though the Ireland team understanding again, he has been exceptionally unlucky. Again, it's, it's like, it's a laughable thing to say. Because you, know, you say, well, we've been so unlucky. It's just a classic, well, well, you know, I mean, it's, have you, you know, you obviously don't know anything about football if you're saying that. However, I think it is, it's actually, in this case, true. As a result of the string of bad luck that Stephen Kenny has experienced, there's obviously been calls for him to be sacked. But I think you've argued that it doesn't make sense to sack him. Why do you think that? Uh, well, I mean, I just, I don't think that it's his fault that, uh, you know, I, I, there are things which he can control and there are things which he can't control. And, you know, a lot of the things that he can't control, these things have, have gone against him. I mean, this is what we've just been talking about. In terms of things that he can control, I think that what he's been doing has been good. You know, I think that it's, there are signs of things coming together. You know, he, for instance, in the game against Portugal, um, I thought an interesting moment was when, uh, Ireland, again, in, in typical style, lose an important player to a serious injury. Dara O'Shea, who had been doing really well for us, and a, a young player who's come into the team recently, wrecks his ankle. He's going to be out for six months, but he has to go off in the first half. Uh, there's a really obvious substitution to be made here, which is you bring James McLean off the bench. McLean being, I think, 32 now. He's got 83 or 84 caps, one of the most experienced players in the side. Obviously, you're going to bring him on. Uh, and jig around a couple of other players. Um, this is not what Stephen Kenny does. Instead, he turns around and picks up uh, points to a 19-year-old who's never played before, uh, Andrew Omabamadeli. Uh, he brings him on uh, to play at centre-back for his international debut against Cristiano Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva. You know, this is a kind of, this is a pretty brave call. Um, but he's saying, okay, you know, I, I think he can do it. This maybe isn't the ideal circumstances for you to make your debut, but you know, here you go. And I don't think that his predecessors would have would have made a decision like that. So I think there's a sort of a risk, there's a risk-taking 
a bravery about some of the decisions that he's made. Now, he could, you know, there's, there's a flip side to that. I mean, the flip side of bravery is, you know, foolish. You know, when, when does bravery become foolishness? You know, just because you can't just say, you know, I'm a brave manager who trusts young talent, uh, mm. and therefore I'm great. And, and whenever I put the young talent on, they'll always, they'll know that I've, I'm showing faith in them and then they'll, they will flourish. It doesn't really work like that. I mean, sometimes they, they, they crumble or they're not ready for it. Or, you know, maybe we saw that against, uh, in, in the game against Azerbaijan when, I, when he picked, as I said, all these under-21 players, maybe too many at the same time. It didn't really work out for some of them. They didn't play with a lot of confidence. They didn't play with a lot of competence. You know, so... It's always like, you know, it's all about sort of getting the right balance between these decisions. But I think the direction of his, I, I like the direction in which he errs, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's better to err on the side of sort of the future than, the, or, you know, of, of riskiness than of conservatism. And of course, a little bit of adventure and bravado in an Irish soccer team is kind of refreshing because hmm. it's not something that we associate with Irish soccer teams. Yeah, well, I mean, it has it has been from time to time. You know, I mean, I think that the... Uh, the, the sort of the, the successful Charlton era was based on this, you know, this kind of sense of, look, you know, we, we, we don't have anything to be afraid of here. You know, I mean, yeah. nobody likes being chased around the pitch. So let's do that. You know, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's try and make it, make ourselves a very uncomfortable team to play against. Let's sort of enjoy the process of, 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 of uh, flustering these, you know, highly touted, you know, elegant foreign players, it's a it's a sort of a positive attitude. So so previously when we when we did have a successful team, it, it did have that kind of positive ethos. I mean, obviously, okay. yeah, the Kenny, uh, you know, approach to football is a bit different, but I guess the idea of being brave, there's nothing to be afraid of here, is something uh, that they do have in common. One of the things that makes Irish performances of late even harder to stomach has been watching other mid-ranked or even teams that would have been lower than us do so well. Wales were once the whipping boys of Europe. Iceland used to be a guaranteed six points when we played them. But now they're kind of the shining lights well, of well. European football. Well, not exactly, but they've done well in tournaments. Mm, and it's often said that they're doing well because they develop younger players through their football associations. So have they got it right and have we got it wrong? Or is it just down to the look of the jeans and the arrival on the scene of a you know once in a generation striker like Gareth Bale? There are only a couple of international teams which are which are really really good football teams, you know, by the standards of the top level of the club game, and these tend to be uh, countries like Germany, Spain, Italy. If you're lucky as a country, you will have one player like Bale or like Poland have Lewandowski or like Norway now have Erling Haaland. This is just something that sometimes happens, you know. I mean, yeah. sometimes you sometimes you'll be lucky. It's a long time since it's happened in Ireland. I mean, we had Paul McGraw, we had Liam Brady, we had we had Roy Keane. You know, we we've had. Uh, we've been lucky sometimes occasionally a talented player comes along maybe we're due one um, you can maybe do a better job in terms of um, controlling the average or or increasing the average level of your average players that will come through you know I mean that's something yeah. that you can that you can influence you know with sort of good planning and, and organisation which obviously has not been a strong point of Irish football unfortunately uh, over the last 20 years Coming up how FAI decisions contributed to the decline in the national team and some reasons to be cheerful. Speaking of good planning and organisation, the FAI, as has been well documented, is not necessarily in a good place right now. Money is tight and the level of upheaval has been absolutely immense, but even by its shambolic standards. Can you tell us what's been happening there over the last couple of years and, and, and how we've got to this point with the organisation of Irish football? Well, I mean, <laughs> where do you start, really? Um, I mean, for 
for a long time, the FAI was being run by John Delaney, who, in an attempt to cover up uh, his incompetent running of the organization, was borrowing ever-increasing amounts of money from the future to plug gaps in the in the present. And at some point uh, in 2019, this house of cards collapsed. The world got to see the actual crater that the FAI finances had become. Since then, obviously Delaney is, is no longer there. His immediate circle of sort of crony officials are also no longer there. And the FAI has been reformed and, you know, has has had new structures put in, you know, governance experts and so on have have all had a look at it. Uh, It's accountable, obviously, to the government whose, um, you know, funding is essentially its life support. (laughs) I mean, the last time there was a crisis in the FAI was after the 2002 World Cup. When you know Roy Keane left, and there was there was a lot of accusations about a shambolic organization, and where were the training cones, and what happened to the footballs, and why are we in Saipan, and all this sort of stuff, which resulted in the Genesis report, uh, and the main person prosecuting the Genesis report or, or urging it to be implemented just to uh, sweep out all of these old incompetent officials was a young reformer by the name of John Delaney, who simply used it to, in effect, take over the organization. I don't think. This I don't think what's happened since then is like that, but the problem now is just the the sheer penury of the organization. You know, they can't even get a sponsor, which amazes me. You know, yeah, what's the story there? You know, I think that the FAI with, under Delaney became the kind of organization nobody wanted to be in the same picture as. You know, you don't. It was it became a, a bit of a disaster, especially as this sort of scandal erupted and engulfed everything. But I feel like that's over now, and I don't understand why this why this team, which has got some young and upcoming and some players who have the makings clearly of of major stars who are going to be huge, huge figures in this country, you know, all, all going well over the next 10 or 15 years. Uh, and yet the team can't get a sponsor. I mean, they have actually just announced this week that they have got a new sponsor for the women's team. Sky have become the first standalone sponsor for the Irish women's national team. But the men's national team still remains unsponsored, which I think is a huge opportunity. I don't think they can fall anymore. Let's put, let's put it that way, mm. Connor. I don't think this team is going to fall anymore uh, yeah. from, from where they are. So I don't think there's any risk of any sponsor coming in and suddenly they're, oh no, this thing is in free fall. No, that's not going to happen. The only way is up for this team. So I don't really understand why no one's prepared to get on board. So, Ken, can you draw a line between the disarray in the FAI and the failure of the Irish soccer team to score goals, to win matches and to qualify for tournaments? Well, I mean, there are a few different things going on. One is this kind of failure to really, to rationally organise the domestic game in a constructive way under Delaney. Because Delaney was fundamentally just incompetent. You know, besides anything else, he was just an incompetent figure whose only preoccupation was in extending continuing his own power. So he spent all his time just sort of going around visiting little clubs and giving them little grants, like buying their votes in, in effect. And that was sort of how he spent his time, you know, in terms of a kind of let's plan out the, let's organize things in the long term, which remember would have involved making sort of unpopular decisions like cancelling certain leagues or, you know, stepping on people's toes, restructuring things in a way that some people wouldn't have liked, creating political opposition. He wasn't really interested in that and he didn't do it. Uh, I mean, he... He basically allowed the situation to continue, uh, which had which had always been the case, which is that essentially Irish football was a kind of a side show to to English football, which was like 
if you had a player who was any good, he would go to England at the age of 15 or 16. And they would look after his his development and go, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really need to have the facilities for like elite player development in Ireland because anyone who had the ability to possibly become an elite player would already be in England anyway. So it's a bit like, you know, exporting cattle uh, on the hoof, you know, live exports mm. as opposed to like, you know, packaging it up, you know, finishing it yourself here and exporting that, you know, that's, that's, so Delaney allowed that to continue. But the problem was that like history was against Delaney was against Ireland in this sense, because, the Premier League had previously been essentially the best players from England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland are all playing in this league. It became uh, effectively a globalized world league, sucking in talent from all over the world uh, because, you know, they're all drawn there by the fact that it's paying the highest wages in the world. So suddenly, uh, instead of just having to be the best player in Ireland or Scotland or Wales, you had to be better than like also the best player from Senegal or South Korea or, you know, the, the, all these Spanish and German players are coming, you know. So the the level became that much higher. So the Irish players are getting, getting squeezed out of the uh, of the top English clubs. And suddenly then, where are we? You know, they're, they're playing at lower levels in England. You know, the, we don't really have, we don't have, players who have experience of being part of top level teams anymore. So that's one way in which we've sort of fallen off the pace. The other way which is which is more important, well is is almost is equally important I'd say and which Delaney certainly had had a lot of control personal control over was what happened with the stadium. When the stadium was the stadium obviously is a joint venture with the government and the IRFU. Now the IRFU sold their long-term their season tickets, you know, for the new stadium in I think it was 2007. Uh, so 2007 is obviously the last year of the kind of long Celtic Tiger boom. Those tickets were all sold. The RFU's accounts were pretty stable as a result. The FAI waited until 2008, and I can remember the launch because it was the same week that Lehman Brothers collapsed in the United States. And we were at a launch with John Delaney, Jerry Ryan, Giovanni Trapattoni uh, on the top of some building in the sort of Docklands as John Delaney and a guy called Andrew Hampel, I think his name was, from these guys, ISG, they'd sold all the corporate tickets at Wembley, which was also a new stadium then. And then they were going to do the same thing for the FAI over with the Aviva. And they were going to charge 32,000 euros for 10-year tickets. 32,000 euros. Like, they, I remember them saying this, and it was just, everyone's jaws just dropped. 32 grand for 10-year tickets, watch out. What are you talking about? What, what, what madness is this? Uh, and this was in the same week that literally the the banks were collapsing all over the all over the world. Like Western capitalism is in collapse, is in full on retreat. And here's John Delaney saying he's, he thinks people are going to pay thirty two grand to watch Ireland for ten. So you know, obviously, not a lot of people bought the tickets. Like if they'd sold all the thirty two grand tickets, he would have not only been able to fund the FAI's obligations to the uh, as part of the stadium, but he would have had loads of money left over. Like they they would have been absolutely in clover. But of course, like they sold no tickets, like basically none at all. But he but he was re- he was refusing to drop the price. So what he, what happened instead was that the the team is suddenly playing in an empty stadium. You know, he, no one is obviously buying these massively overpriced tickets, but but people also, when the crowds sort of disappeared from the stadium, also the pressure to block book tickets disappeared, 
right? So previously, mm. like you'd, you'd, you'd block book your tickets for like a group or, you know, because you want to go and watch Ireland against Germany, but that meant you had to go, you had to buy a ticket for Ireland against Cyprus as well, which otherwise maybe you wouldn't have gone to, but you, you buy the Cyprus ticket because you want the Germany ticket. But now there's no pressure to do that because everybody knows there's going to be tickets. There's going to be tickets available for every game. So no one's sort of booking. But then people can see a team playing in an empty stadium and it just, <laughs> no one, it's like, well, clearly everyone's lost interest in this team. When I say empty, I mean half full. You know, a half a half full stadium. I mean, we we played in a half full stadium the other night, which felt amazing. It was like it felt like a full stadium. But a half full stadium when when the stadium is allowed to be full is, is quite a different thing. He kind of destroyed the culture of going to the game for Ireland fans. I mean, mm. it wasn't what he set out to do, but in effect, the failure of his ticket scheme and his refusal for years to kind of acknowledge reality and cut, accept that it had failed and cut his losses and rationalize the ticket prices killed the crowd. You know, it, I think that's also been a big feature in, of the sort of demoralization of the team that, that happened a while back and, and hopefully now is, is sort of beginning to regenerate. I suppose finally, Ken, what's the answer to Ireland's current difficulties. What do we need to do? Do we need to find somebody who can score goals? That seems to be a challenge at the moment. Do we need to focus on our League of Ireland and our uh, our youth academies and maybe just forget about the English football world? Like, what's the answer? How do we fix this problem? How do we get back to the days that we all remember so fondly in the late 80s, early 90s, and even in the last 10 or 15 years? Yeah, I mean, I think you 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 do have to forget about England, you know, in terms of it's 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 a market for for players, I suppose. Like uh, an example of maybe how things could be done better for Ireland is Gavin Bazunu, who was the, the the current goalkeeper of the national team, who's had such an amazing week, you know, beginning with saving a penalty from Cristiano Ronaldo last week to being the man of the match in the game against Serbia the other night and you know has has the potential i mean he's 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 who i mean when i say some of these players have the potential i think to to be major stars to be big heroes uh, big sporting heroes in this country for a long time to come i mean bazoon is still only 19 but joined manchester city from the shamrock rovers academy after he'd already made his first team debut for shamrock rovers and so the price that it wasn't as though city were just saying to some like a 15 year old why don't you come over and join our academy they were buying a player from shamrock rovers and they paid a proper transfer fee with you know add-ons so the better he does you know for instance i think they pay they they have to pay shamrock rovers every time he plays for ireland up to a certain point you know what i mean so this is a way in which uh, Irish clubs can actually benefit from developing their own players or you know when you when you make a successful sale like this it pays for a lot of other operations that you have you know so so I think this is an example of what Irish clubs can start to do but really it, it's going to have to happen here a lot of the work that English clubs were doing on our players we're not going to have to do ourselves or we're not going to have any players and do we have the appetite to do that do you think well there's always going to be the appetite um I mean there's always going to be <laughs> you know, the, within the within the sport, I mean, football has been very badly served in Ireland, obviously by its administration. And you can just you just hope that this is this is going to change now with the with the kind of downfall of the Delaney years of misrule. That like what follows can't be as bad. Surely, I mean, it can Surely, it can't be as bad. I mean, I don't believe it can be as bad. Um, <laughs> uh, I. I 
you know, we can I, only hope. I believe, I believe it. I believe it when I see it. If you're telling me this is going to be as bad as John Delaney, I'm telling you, I think this, I think things can only get better uh, from from this point. Yeah, it's um, it's it's an exciting time. <laughs> it's it's it's, it's, it's a, exciting to be here at the beginning of of what promises to be a glorious new era. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday. <laughs>